The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. You've, you've probably heard of this uh, company before. It's a little startup technology company um, called Facebook. Um, any, any of you heard of, you've heard of Facebook? Um, it's been around less than 20 years, and it's still being run by one of its founders, a guy named Mark Zuckerberg. Um, Zuckerberg, he's 36 years old. He's worth, I think I less looked, saw on Google, he's worth about $111 billion dollars which is that's pretty nice if you're into that kind of thing, right? I mean, if you got a net worth of $111 billion. Um, what you might not know about Zuckerberg, though, and perhaps you do know this, but he didn't create Facebook by himself. He had a little help from his friends. Um, but none of his friends still work for Facebook, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Since the whole purpose of Facebook is this is a way to keep up with your friends. Um, and now none of his friends work there. And in fact, we, we could even say that the departure of some of his friends from Facebook was, well, let's just say it wasn't very friendly. Um, one of his friends, for example, before his departure had a 34% share in the company Facebook. Um, but after their departure, it was slashed to just a minuscule amount. And that friend actually had to take uh, Zuckerberg to court to, to gain just a 5% standing in Facebook. Um, by the way, if you're if you're keeping track of the math there, don't cry for him that he only has a five percent standing in Facebook. Um, I'm not I'm not a business person, but I believe in my, if my calculations are correct, it's still worth some like tens of billions of dollars, just five percent in Facebook. So he, he's not hurting. Uh, but that's that's Facebook, a, a story of a success story gone awry. Um, here's another company that maybe you've heard of. Uh, they were called the Beatles. And, and yes, yeah, I know, they're, they're musicians, but they were such fabulous musicians. They, they had such tremendous success that they uh, became a business as well. Um, and it was their becoming a business that was one of the main reasons that the band known as the Beatles broke up, was conflicts that they had in their business. Uh, they, they started a company named Apple Core, not, not like the core of an apple, okay? It was more like Marine Core, so C-O-R-P-S, so it was Apple Core. Um, and three of the Beatles in 1969 decided to, to have one business manager, and another Beatle um, had a different business manager. And those differences in management ultimately led uh, to difference of philosophy. It led to strife and disharmony within the band itself, and the band broke up. Now, these are just two examples um, of partnerships, uh, successful partnerships that went awry. And so what's my point? Why, why do I share these two stories? You see, partnerships can be a wonderful thing. Working collaboratively with somebody um, can often help us accomplish something that we could never accomplish on our own. 
It's, it's one of the things, by the way, that I love about being Southern Baptist. So this, this is a, if you didn't know, this is a Southern Baptist church, which means we are in friendly cooperation with about 40,000 other Southern Baptist churches here in North America. And together, as we cooperate with these other 40,000 churches here in North America, we're able to accomplish more than any single one of those churches could accomplish on its own. But there's also a potential downside to partnership. You see, if you partner with somebody who's not working toward the same goal, there's, this disharmony can happen, and, and it can frankly become a hot mess really, really fast. It's one of the reasons, again back to Southern Baptist life, it's one of the reasons that most Southern Baptist churches, we have a very similar statement of faith. We say, we say this is, these are the things that we believe in, and because we believe in these similar ideals, then when we form partnerships with other churches, with these 40,000 other churches, it helps us to avoid some of the conflicts that could happen if we're going in different directions, if we're not working toward the same goal. Well, the Apostle Paul also had some working partnerships. We're, we're familiar with some of those partnerships. We're, we're familiar with people like you know Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas. And, and, and all of us would know Paul and Timothy. We're familiar with those partnerships. But there were many other partnerships that he had. He worked with a number of different people. And we're going to hear about some of those people in our text today in Romans chapter 16. And so if you're in Romans 16, say amen. All right. We're going to read verses, or I'm going to read. You just follow along. Um, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 23 this morning. And so follow along, please, as I read. Paul writes, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant in the church at Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Unia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus. My beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus. That's, that's a name all you young people should know. You know Wednesday's Asyncretus. Uh, here's, it's, you, you didn't know, that's in the Bible, right? Greet Asyncretus. Um, Phlegon, Hermes, uh, Patri- Patrophus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with him. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurses, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
all the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth and smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sospiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would use this time now to, to mold us, to shape us evermore into the image of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So just a real quick comment about one of those last names uh, uh, there at the end when he says, um, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Uh, you might have thought, well, I thought you've been saying Paul wrote this letter all along. Uh, Tertius would have been what's called an amanuensis or a secretary. And so Paul would have dictated while Tertius would have taken taken the letter down by dictation. So he's the Tertius is actually the one whose hand, if you will, went pen to paper. But the, the letter is from Paul. So just a, a, an aside right there. Um, I've titled this morning's, morning's messages, We Don't Do It Alone. We don't do it alone. And for those of you who are note takers, here's our central idea for today. Is that as we consider gospel partnerships, we need to be both generous and discerning. As we consider gospel partnerships, we need to be both generous and discerning. Only I have two points from our text this morning. Uh, first, I, I want to I talk about the generosity of gospel partnerships. And then secondly, I want to talk about discernment in forming gospel partnerships. Okay. So generosity and discernment. Number one, generosity in gospel partnership. I don't know if you've ever been part of a, um, a small group Bible study and you get called on to read the text and then to your horror you realize that the text is full of names that you don't know how to pronounce. Uh, that happened in our Sunday school class this morning. It's happening again right here. This is one of those passages you hope somebody doesn't call on you uh, to read aloud. Uh, there are no fewer than 35 individual names that are mentioned, people by name that Paul mentions, and which is interesting because Paul at this point is still, he's never actually visited the church in Rome. Okay, so he hasn't actually been there. Um, now he knows some of these people personally, but he hasn't actually been there. 35 individuals, though, that he's naming by name. And scores of others, by the way, uh, by association with the house church that they attend. Now, we're not going to have time this morning to look if you will, at every individual. But let's take a look at some of those individuals, some of these 35 names this morning. In verse 1, Paul commends to us our sister Phoebe. He has a lot to say about Phoebe. In fact, he says more about Phoebe than he says about anybody else on the rest of the list. Um, but let's start out with this. He calls Phoebe a servant in the house, or excuse me, in the church at Cancrea. So first question is, where is Cancrea? And unless you're a geography whiz, you probably never heard of Cancrea. 
But King Korea is located right next to Corinth um, in southern Greece. So right there, there is a small peninsula and Corinth is on one side of that peninsula and King Korea is on the other side of that peninsula. And since it's widely understood that when Paul was dictating this letter to Tertius to send to the church in Rome, Paul was actually staying in Corinth while he was doing that. It's a fairly safe assumption for us to say that Phoebe is likely the person who is actually hand-delivering the letter. She's the one that's taking it. I mean, there's no post office service back in this day. And so if you're going to send a letter, you send it by an individual. And so Phoebe is the one who's hand-delivering this letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Now, it's sometimes argued that women need to escape, if you will, the restrictions that are imposed upon them in Christianity. Some people look at Christianity and they think Christianity is this uh, patriarchal religion and that it's inherently oppressive to women. But beloved, I want you to know that nothing could be further from the truth. Women play a prominent role in Christianity and they always have. Women, let's just rehearse, women were the first ones, the first of all the disciples to, to see and witness the resurrected Lord Jesus. We learn according to Acts chapter 8 that women were the ones who financed at least part of, if not entirely, the ministry of Jesus himself. And Paul, when he's talking about Phoebe here in, in Romans chapter 16 in verse 2 of our text, he calls her a patron of many and of myself as well. And so a patron is somebody who is a financial backer. And so Phoebe is the one who financed Paul's ministry. And not only Paul's ministry, but the ministry of others as well. And so, no, beloved, women don't need to escape the restrictions of Christianity. Women are honored and revered by those who read their Bibles well. But, you might argue, if that's true, If what you're saying is true, why are certain roles in the church restricted to men only? And that's a great question. Because the Bible does indeed clearly restrict the role of elder to men who are biblically qualified for that office. And so, if you will, not not, not even all men are qualified to serve as elders. Only certain men are qualified to serve as elders. But in my estimation, eldership is the only role in the church in which women are forbidden from serving. Look with me again at our text. This is super important. I want you to see this. Again in verse 1, notice this. Paul calls Phoebe a servant in the church at Cancrea. Some of you will have a little footnote there. By My Bible has a little footnote by servant. And you'll notice that if you follow that word, uh, that footnote to the, to the bottom. And by the way, some of you won't even have a footnote there. You'll just have, um, it'll, it'll go straight to the word. And it'll be spelled out directly, deacon. That Phoebe is serving as a deacon in the church in Cancrea. So that would be an an alternative way to read verse 1. I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Cancrea. Now I've told you this before, and so it shouldn't come as any surprise to you, that the Greek word that we translate as deacon, it literally means servant. That's what a deacon is. A deacon is a servant in the church. 
And so this raises an interesting question for us. Is Paul talking about Phoebe here in verse 1? Is he talking about her as somebody who actually holds the church office of deacon? Or is he saying that Phoebe is simply somebody who serves the church? Now, I think there are two pieces of information here in in Romans 16, two pieces of information that argue strongly for for the fact that Paul is saying that Phoebe occupies the church office of a deacon. And here are those two pieces of information. First, the Greek language is a gendered language. That means some words are masculine, other words are feminine, other words are neuter. And because words have a gender in the Greek language, the adjectives then that modify those words, they carry the same gender as the word it's modifying. All right? Now, English doesn't work this way, uh, but if you've ever studied German or French, I think Spanish, Spanish is gendered as well, so Spanish is a gendered language. Um, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know about words having different languages, and any number, by the way, of different languages work this way. English doesn't. Uh, but Phoebe is a woman. It's a woman's name, clearly a woman's name. There's no question about that. And so we would expect, because it's a gendered language, we would expect that if Paul were describing Phoebe simply as a servant, like she's just somebody who serves, we would expect that Paul would use the feminine form of the word for servant. That, that would make sense. Grammatically, that would, that, that's what Paul would do. But the word we have here translated in, in verse 1 as servant or deacon is actually a masculine word not a feminine word which is strange you would look at it and say well that doesn't make sense and well in my estimation so why why would that be why why is paul doing that it's because paul's not talking about phoebe as a servant per se or he's not talking about her merely as a servant but he's using the same word that he uses elsewhere to describe the office of deacon Namely, every time the office of deacon is being used, it's always described in the masculine form of the word. And so if we were talking about her simply as somebody who serves the church, we would expect the feminine form of the word, but he doesn't use that. He uses the masculine form. So this is the first piece of critical, critical information. But second, and just as important, Paul mentions here that she is a deacon or a servant. And by the way, as I'm saying this, Please understand, there are some people who disagree with this interpretation, okay? It doesn't mean we're not brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you might even be going, I've never heard this before. Uh, And so it doesn't mean we're not brothers and sisters in Christ. It just means we have a disagreement over how this is to be translated, okay? But this is a second piece of information. Paul mentions that she's a deacon or servant in the church of Cancrea. In other words, he's not just saying that she serves the church kind of generically, but she's serving a specific church in a specific way. And so if Paul were merely commending her here for her service to the church, frankly, we wouldn't expect for Paul to note that her service was in a specific church. So for, for example, let me share another example of how Paul uses this language. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Paul commends to us elders who rule well, he says they are to be considered worthy of double honor. He doesn't say elders who, serve, who rule well in this congregation or that congregation. He just says elders in general. He leaves their service generic. And so the fact that Paul is actually going out of his way to specifically mention that her service is in the church at Cancrea, it tips his hand that he's probably talking 
more than just about service in the generic sense. And so I believe Phoebe is serving in the New Testament office of deacon in the church of Cancria. And so this is one of the individuals that Paul is in partnership. And to unpack all of that, by the way, this whole deacon thing, it would take it would take longer than we have this morning and it would take us away from the main focus of our text. And so this is not the main focus of the text, but I want you to know um, lots of questions come around about who is this Phoebe and what was her role. So I wanted to take a moment to, to address that with you. Let's skip Phoebe right now. Let's move on to two, to two others. In verse 3, he mentions Prisca and Aquila. This is a husband and wife pair. We meet this couple, by the way, the first time in Acts chapter 18. And we know from Acts that they're tent makers by trade, just like Paul, and that they use their work as a platform to share the gospel. They're in, in fact, they were so faithful in their gospel work that Paul tells us here in Romans 16 that they risked their necks for Paul's life. And not only was Paul thankful for them and for their work, but he tells us that all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for their work as well. Beloved, these are the type of people with whom we want to enter into gospel partnerships. We want to join hands with people like Phoebe. We want to join hands with people like Prisca and Aquila. This is why, by the way, I occasionally introduce you people like Savannah Miller. You might remember Savannah. We had a Zoom interview with her back on Palm Sunday. If you missed that, you can go back and, and watch it on one of our uh, recordings. But she's the kind of person that we want to enter into a gospel partnership with. Uh, By the way, I I emailed with her this week, just a little update on Savannah. She's in training in Richmond. She's doing well. She's very excited about how the Lord's preparing her for work. She's, she's, for those of you who don't remember Savannah, she's going to serve as a missionary um, in Europe. And so very excited about that. And then then, then there are people like Van and Jackie. Uh, Some of you know Jackie. Jackie is... Some of you know both Van and Jackie, but Jackie's actually been here to our church and she's spoken at a women's event um, and we work with them in Germany. And then there's Keith and Angela. Uh, and again, some of you know, they've both been here and Keith has actually preached here on a Sunday morning and we have regularly worked with them in Southern Asia. But you, so these are partnerships that we have. You might be thinking, well, Pastor, you're talking about missionaries are going to other parts of the world. Is that really the only kind of partnership we can have? No, that's not the only kind of gospel partnership we can have. Brian mentioned um, just a moment ago that we have a partnership with the uh, with the Bruce Outreach Center. And, uh, and they serve right here in Maryland, in the western part of Maryland. And we're partnering again with this summer. If you want to go on that, you talk to Brian after the service. He would love to have to to he would so appreciate your interest in that and in that partnership that we have with them. And we partner with people right here in Charles County. Some of the, the, the Catherine Foundation, we partner with them. And so we want to be, my point here is we want to be, just as Paul was generous, 35 different people, he was generous in his partnership. We want to be generous as well in our gospel partnerships with others. Of those 35 names that Paul mentions in this chapter, there, there are, some of the names are Greek names. Some of them are Latin names. Some of them are Hebrew names. Some of them are women's names. Some of them are men's names. Paul has this generous partnership. He he didn't let ethnic differences halt his partnership. He didn't let gender differences halt his partnership. And Paul deeply cares about these individuals. In verse 5, he describes Epinetus as beloved. 
Likewise, in verse 8, he describes Ampliatus as beloved, and Stachys in verse 9 as beloved, and Persis in verse 12 as beloved. Some of you have noticed and even commented that in my sermon, sometimes I refer to you as beloved. Why do, why do I do that? Well, first and primary, I do that because it's biblical, right? I mean, this is not the only place in the Bible where we hear the term beloved. So I do it because it's biblical. But secondly, I do it because of the affection it shows. When Paul uses the word beloved to describe these individuals, he's describing his deep, deep affection for them. And when I use that language toward you, I hope you, I hope you understand, I hope you hear me say how deeply I hold you in my heart. That's why I use the language beloved. But that's not the only describing word that Paul uses in this passage. He refers to Andronicus and Union, Herodian and Sosipater as his kinsmen. Now, he, he's not saying, by the way, that they're related by family. You know, like, you know, this is my uncle and this is my aunt and these are my... That's not what he's saying. He's saying rather that they are also Jews. Jews who have chosen to follow Jesus and to turn to Christ. And then at least five times in our passage, he refers to these different individuals as workers or those who worked hard in the Lord. And again, beloved, this is the type of person with whom we want to enter into gospel partnership. We want to partner with people who are willing to work hard for the Lord. We recognize that the harvest is plentiful. And so we need to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. But I've saved the most important characteristic of this type of person the, person, the type of person with whom we want to enter into a relationship. I've saved the, the most important characteristic for the end. We only want to enter into gospel partnership with those who are in the Lord. In the Lord. At least 11 times in this passage today, Paul refers to these individuals as either in the Lord, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus. If somebody isn't in Christ, or if they're not in the Lord, that means they, they are not a Christian. And if they're not a Christian, then we cannot have a gospel partnership with them. It's just meaningless. You can't have a gospel partnership with somebody who doesn't believe the gospel. Now, we, we may see eye to eye with them on some issues. For example... There are non-Christians who share our concern for racial strife in our land and praise God for His common grace on that. But understand this, beloved, that which animates our concern for that issue, for racial strife, is not the same thing that animates the non-Christian about that issue. You see, for the Christian, racial strife is a gospel issue. It's an image of God issue. But the non-Christian doesn't believe the gospel. The non-Christian doesn't have an understanding of the image of God as we do. And so while that issue may strike a chord in both of us, it does so for profoundly different reasons. And so we may be able to work with that individual in some ways, but we're never able to have a gospel partnership with somebody who isn't in the Lord. So we need to be generous in our gospel partnership, so long as it's in the Lord. That's point number one. Point number two is we need to find discernment in gospel partnerships, or we need to uh, practice, I should say, discernment in gospel partnerships. Verses 1 through 16 and 21 through 23 
again, Paul mentions 35 individuals by name. And without exception, every one of those individuals in those two sections, Paul, Paul has a gospel partnership with them. But in verses 17 through 20, Paul doesn't mention anyone by name other than the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan, who he says we will crush uh, uh, under, his, under our feet. Um, he doesn't mention a single human being by name in verses 17 through 20. Now, we know that Paul, um, he's not opposed to calling people out by name uh, when necessary. He does so in 1 Timothy. He calls out Hymenaeus and Alexander for their blasphemy. Uh, but here in Romans 16, he doesn't scold a single individual by name. And perhaps the reason he doesn't do that is because he's more interested in sharing with us the basic type of people with whom we don't want to have a gospel partnership. And so in these verses, he tells us to watch out. See that in verse 17? He tells us to watch out for certain types of people. So what type of people are we to watch out for? First, in verse 17, we're to watch out for those who cause divisions. Beloved, unity in the body of Christ is very important. And so when you run into somebody who is causing divisions, we need to watch out for that type of individual. And not only do we need to watch out for that individual, Paul actually commands us there at the end of verse 17, he says we need to avoid them altogether. Because not only are these individuals causing divisions, they're, they're also, notice this still in verse 17, they're creating obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that's being taught. Beloved, the quickest way to cause division is to attack doctrine. We see that all the way back to the beginning. That's what Satan did in the garden, isn't it? Satan says to Eve in Genesis 3, Did God really say this? You see, our enemy, the, our adversary, he doesn't want us to work cooperatively in the gospel, and so he will seek to cause division in our doctrine. Now, in our day and age, so here in the, here in the year 2021, uh, those divisions, they often center around the initials LGBTQ. And so you hear one person say that the reason Paul spoke negatively about same-sex relationships is because he had a first-century bias against those types of relationships. But now that we're so much more enlightened, now, now we know better than Paul knew, Paul was just a product of his time. Or so the argument goes. But beloved, that doesn't take into consideration the fact that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. And surely we wouldn't argue that the Holy Spirit is just a product of the time, right? We wouldn't do that. Of course not. We'd never say that. The reason there are those who cause division and create obstacles is, it's right here in our text, look with me at verse 18, is because such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Beloved, these are the type of people that we need to avoid. These are the type of people who aren't even serving the Lord Christ. They're serving, Paul says, their own appetites. In other words, they're, they're not in it for themselves. They're not in it for, or rather, they're not in it for Jesus. They're in it for themselves. They're, they're not in it because they want to see the gospel advance to every corner of the world. They want more for themselves. You might remember these words of John the Baptist. He says in John chapter 3, he's speaking about Jesus. And John the Baptist says, He must 
increase, and I must decrease. But these people, the ones that Paul's talking about here in verses 17 through 20, these people are saying, I must increase all the more. They're in it for their own appetites. They're in it for themselves. And the sad part is this. These individuals are often such smooth talkers that they're able to deceive, notice this in the text, even the heart of the naive. Beloved, don't be naive. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Beloved, don't be naive. Hold fast to sound doctrine. But look with me at verse 19. Paul, in verse 19, he's convinced that the obedience of his readers is well known to all, and he rejoices in that. But nevertheless, he says this, and by way of inspiration, he's, he's telling them this, and by way of inspiration, he's telling us this. He says that we need to be wise about what is good, and we need to be innocent about what is evil. Now think about that phrase for just a moment. What's another way of saying that we need to be wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil? Discernment. That's another way of saying it. Paul's arguing here that we need to have discernment. We need to be able to discern what is good and we need to, able, need to be able to discern what is evil. And so we need to be able to discern when it comes to gospel partnerships. And so we don't just enter a gospel partnership because another warm body shows interest. We need to be discerning in that. We need to ask questions. Are these people in the Lord? Do these people cause divisions? Are these people in it for themselves, for their own appetite? Or or are they working hard so that the gospel can be brought to the ends of the earth? You know, I wonder... I wonder if Mark Zuckerberg and his friends, if they had a chance to start Facebook over again, would they do anything different? Would they show more discernment? Or the Beatles? If we could get in a time frame and go back to the Beatles, to the British invasion. um, What warning signs might they look for? You see, partnership is a good thing. It's an undeniably good thing. We, we were not meant to be alone. And so we should be generous as we seek out gospel partnerships. But at the same time, we need to be discerning in that as well. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Father, that you would just strengthen us and encourage us. Lord, that we would recognize that we have, we've been entrusted with the most important message that's ever been entrusted to mankind. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with the message of the Gospel by which men and women, boys and girls, can be saved from their sin and restored into a relationship with You. And so as we seek to bring that 
message to others, as we seek partners to join with us in that message. Lord, help us to be, help us to be discerning, to know the right people with whom we would enter into partnership. But help us also to be generous, Father, as we seek these individuals out, that we would join together in a work of bringing the gospel to all the world. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.